Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. I just can't even with you right now. While software development is a rewarding and interesting career choice, you will periodically encounter developers whose presence is not exactly motivating. Whether they are actively hostile or constantly creating problems passively, there are several distinct types of difficult developers that you'll encounter in your career. In this episode, we're going to talk about how developers become difficult, as well as some strategies for dealing with particular types. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, actually, it's the same thing I was fighting uh, last week, air quotes, because we're recording two episodes back to back. So <laughs> I'm just work has been crazy for a while. You know, we've got this big conference coming up. I'm really looking forward to being on the other side of that. And that happens next weekend. How about you? Well, I am very excited. My talk got selected for Code Mash up in Ohio. So I will be going up. Actually, I'll be going up right after Christmas. My sister is coming down and her husband has to fly back for work. I took a few days off. And so I'm going to drive her home, stay with her for a week, and then go to the conference, um, which is uh, just about an hour and a half outside of Cleveland. So it's really awesome. Um, the talk is based on an episode we did on dealing with failure in development and kind of comparing it to the, um, the medical model of having a, an M&M conference and discussing what's going on or discussing a particular case. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to giving this talk for the first time. This past week, I took a course on automated testing in Agile. Dave from JDT and I were the only developers in there. Everyone else was QA or BA. The interesting thing is we were using Java because that's what the instructor knows. When asked, I was the only one in there that knew any Java thanks to my academic endeavors the past few weeks. So I had like three weeks of Java and I was the most advanced person in there, save the instructor uh, when it came to that. Uh, by the time this episode airs, I will have taken my first midterm in the data science program. Uh, I'm studying for it now. Uh, well, not literally now, but, you know, I'm going through the process. Though I'll be honest, it's kind of difficult to know how to study because it's my first class in this program. And I don't know the format or what the test is going to be like. Is it going to be multiple choice? Is it going to be short answers? Am I going to have to write code? I don't know. I will say the assignments have been fun to complete as they're pretty decent challenges, but a lot less stressful than work challenges because, you know, they're not going into productions for thousands of people to use. I just have to make sure that the one use case works. Speaking of school, though, I've got an educational IOTs. This week, I've got a course from, I'm not sure if it's edX or edX, but this introduces the basic concepts of Internet of Things. Uh, in the course, you learn about IoT components and how those components are connected together, how they communicate, and how they add value to the data that is generated. It can help you to understand IoT design and begin to work with Internet of Things ideas within your area of expertise. Uh, the course itself is free, but you can pay $99 for a certificate after completing it. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we had a comment on API best practices from Brian Schroer. Hoping I got that right. Uh, yesterday morning, a coworker came to my desk and said he was starting work on an API and wanted to know if I had any thoughts about best practices. I said, let me tell you about this great podcast I was listening to on the drive in this morning. A while later, I heard two familiar neckbeardy voices coming from his PC speakers. Congratulations on the new listener and keep up the good work. 
Neckbeardy. Neck yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. I really do. That's awesome. Thanks, Brian. We get a we get all our advertising from word of mouth, just about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's our, our best advertising is definitely word of mouth. Send us a message with your contact information because we definitely have a complete developer water bottle just for you to uh, continue advertising for us. Yeah. And and brag about in the office. And guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Google+, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We're also on Tumblr, Instagram, and Path. Check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer listener questions. Or you could join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. We've all had or will have interactions with difficult people in our workplaces, families, or social groups. It's pretty much a fact of human existence that not only will you have to deal with challenging, broken people, but that as an adult, you may not have the option of avoiding them. When it's acceptable to leave a job if your interactions with one member of your team are bad enough, there's no guarantee that you're not going to run into someone worse at your next one. Therefore, it's important to understand how these people get the way they are and how to effectively work with them so you don't go crazy. There's usually a strategy to get around the worst of their behavior, and if you can manage to do so, you'll often find that they are some of the strongest allies that you'll have. The point of this is recognizing that there are very few people who start off as completely intolerable people, but there are lots of people who end up that way as a result of circumstances. It's also really easy, especially when things are already emotionally tense, to misinterpret someone's behavior. Many of these behaviors are, while infuriating, just part of people's natural evolution as a human being and as a developer, and they are useful in the appropriate context. That, however, doesn't mean that these behaviors can't really harm you, as they absolutely can. Um, I've learned that to my horror more than once in my career, and that's why we're kind of talking mm -hmm. about this stuff. And it, it doesn't, it's not just specific to development, because I've dealt with this in almost every career I've had. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about like the raging, screaming, you know, that dude because you know how to deal with that, right? That's You have HR for that. Um, this is more like the uh, the people that just kind of undercut you and break things and mess stuff up for you and make it miserable, but it's not bad enough to go to management with. Mm -hmm. Here's how to deal with them. So in this episode, we're going to give you some ways to deal with the behavior from both the nice and the nasty side. You should choose a strategy based on how serious the risk is to you, not based on how you feel about it. Divorce your feelings from the actual risk. So if they're trying to, you know, make it so that you're homeless, there's an appropriate response to that. If they're just, eh, they're kind of quirky, there's an appropriate response to that. And those are not the same. It's really toxic if you start being aggressive all the time and use the nasty way. That's not a good way to be. Uh, you don't want to be a social manipulator, even if you can get away with it. So the goal here isn't to be a jerk and demanding that everyone conform to you. This is basically, here's some self-defense strategies, not ways to fight. That said, if it does become a fight, the tactics that we describe in the nasty sections of each point will help you. <laughs> they aren't intended to be fair. They're intended to help you survive. They are jerk moves for a very good reason. With all that said, we've all at one time or another expressed some of these behaviors. That doesn't mean that we're toxic. In psychology, there is the idea of maladaptive behavior. So, uh, I know when I was studying, you and I used to, to look at the, the DSM, the yeah. basically the diagnostic book for psychological disorders. And like when I would be studying, we would look at something, you'd be like, you know, I, I have some of those traits or, yeah. you know, and, I know you someone that has some of those traits. And the idea is you may express these at, from time to time, but it hasn't become a pattern. Rather, it's an incident. And it's when these become patterns of behavior and disruptive that you need to do something about them. So let's uh, get into the troublesome developers that you'll run into. And the first one 
is the real imposter. And I know that that is a very humorous <laughs> name for this character, but I couldn't come up with another way to put it. This is an individual who doesn't have the skills they need to do what they're required to do. Uh, this is a bit different than imposter syndrome, and it's probably better described as the Dunning-Kruger effect. Which is almost... Uh, it's almost gotten too pop psychology. Yeah, well, it, well I was going to say, with the with imposter syndrome is feel like... They're, they're like two ends of a spectrum. Or actually, they're, they're two ends of two different spectrums. So, it's how confident you feel and how competent you are. Yeah. So, with what you where you want to be is you want to feel a little confident. You know, somewhere in the middle of both of them, you want to be competent and feel as confident as you are competent. Yeah. But sometimes we are more competent than we actually feel we are. And that's imposter syndrome. Sometimes you run into a person who is very, very confident in their skills, but they're actually not very competent in what they're doing. And that would be Dunning-Kruger. Right. So, if they weren't a coder, they would be a mall cop. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> this individual is usually well aware of their deficiency, and they're willing to do a lot to keep others from becoming aware of it themselves. So, so this is someone who is not competent. They're incompetent, and they know right. that they're incompetent, and they do everything in their ability to hide that fact. Right. Um, and what ends up happening is they tend to hurt their teammates by making everybody else's workload heavier because everybody else is having to pull their weight. So how this happened, they may have been promoted above their ability. In some environments, turnover is so high that junior developers can end up in charge of a team. I know I have a friend that was promoted to a lead position within about three or four years yeah. of starting his first job out of school. And like he has a computer science degree, did an internship, and within about three or four years, they they got they weren't hiring anyone above him, so he just got promoted as the best possible candidate for the position. And it Yeah, I was in a lead position about three years out from graduating college and I was at a company where the turnover was just really high. Mm -hmm. I was a contractor and I was basically Yeah, you're leading this team of our employees. Because you've been here six months and they've only been here two. Another thing is they may have applied for and bluffed their way into a job that exceeds their skills. Their job responsibilities may also have increased beyond their capability. So, like, for instance, you've got a you know fairly competent dev and your DBA leaves and they go, well, we'll just dump this on the dev. If they, if they can't step up, they're going to be in this situation very soon. Um, it's very possible that you'll run into this person... And that you or the team will basically have to carry them. Uh, the problem is if the DBA leaves and you've got a competent dev that it's been dumped onto, you probably don't have anyone else that could do that job either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the other uh, side of it, right? Is like the, the negative impacts hit the entire team. Most of the team can't actually fix it. Sometimes they can, which is nice. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about how you deal with this problem in a nice way. You know, this is productive. We don't want to damage the people around us. The easiest thing to do is to quietly figure out where they are in terms of their skill level and help them get where they need to be. And this can be a little bit challenging because you can't exactly walk up to them and say, hey, I know you're incompetent. Let me help you. Um, most you, people don't really care for that. You can walk up to them and say that. It's just not advised. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do that, start with the CEO, right? <laughs> it just makes the whole trip shorter. Um, one thing you can do, and this is a strategy that I've used more than once, and I think you've used it too, is you try the ploy of asking them for help and ask them for help on one thing, but do it in such a way that you're showing them an easier way to do the thing that they already do. And that starts opening that communication channel where they'll go, hey, you know, you had a trick for this. Do you have a trick for this other thing? Right? Because you just really have to get your foot in the door and mm -hmm. then people will take you on and and get advised. Um, being nice is preferable to the other thing. So being nasty, the other side of dealing with this, put them in a situation where their incompetence is undeniable and visible. For instance, if they are the other developer on your team, make sure that they've got what they need from you when you go on vacation and go to a place that doesn't have cell reception. 
Yeah, or just have a dead battery. No, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm in Bora Bora. I don't yeah, sell exactly. reception here. <laughs> decided to go to the beach in Yemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's probably not something most Americans are going to do. But yeah, uh, you know, if you if you do that kind of thing, because what ends up happening is, is that person is there. Management sees what they're actually getting done without the team carrying them. And then it gets real obvious real fast. Now, I've also done this accidentally several times when I've left on vacation. It's like I've come back and it's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is getting fired. But they wait till you get back and you've been back a week and you're caught up. And then you find out about it. (laughs) And that's happened three or four times in my career at this point. So, you know, like a lot of times it'll work out the nasty way anyway. And so we give the nice as a suggestion to avoid that. But you also have to be very careful about how you approach this. There is a difference between letting someone fall because they're incompetent and they should and actively tripping them. Yeah. Because if you trip them, you know, it doesn't matter how incompetent they were. This person is ready to make excuses and you are not better at it than them if you're competent. So you can't fight on that turf, right? So yeah, you got to be real careful that, yeah, they did it to themselves. I'm not involved. So let's talk about the next one, which is my absolute favorite of dysfunctional developers. And you run into them all the time. This is a group I really have a hard time not being nasty with. And that is the secret kings or the know-it-alls. This is an individual who thinks their highest value is what they know. Um, This means that they will do or say anything to avoid a situation where they have to say, I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This was very, very hard for me coming into development from my medical background, where basically we we are trained to not say, I don't know. Right. Because you don't want your doctor saying, I don't know. You want them to give you some information. And if they legitimately don't know, have them go look it up. Yeah. You People want that confidence from their doctor. So that was trained out of me, the saying, I don't know, I'll look it up, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And I had to relearn how to do that. I remember you and I had, we had an, an episode where we talked about that, yeah. where when I first started, I would be like, uh-huh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or you would be like, oh, have you have you read about this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would go and study really hard. And the next time we talked, I would know a lot about it. Yeah, and it. if you remember, there was a while there that I was being a real jerk and I was mentioning so much stuff. Stuff? <laughs> yeah. I was, I, was, I, I was mentioning so much stuff there for a while because I knew you were doing that. Yeah. And it was a way of just completely like burning that out of you. <laughs> Because it was getting on my nerves. I kept up for quite some time. Yeah, you did. You're just, (laughs) you know, that's that's a character thing that that was really, it was troublesome. But but I knew that this is a problem in Mm -hmm. a development environment because you can't know everything. And it's expected that, hey, on my computer, I can go to Google. So these people will also tend to dig their heels in and argue, even if the other party is obviously correct. And man, I've seen some just... This is this is the pulling out the edge cases or it's the I call it the coffee shop conversation where it's a lot of fun when you're sitting around sipping coffee and just like pontificating about the world. And you have that one friend that's the contrarian that like just brings up all the things because you and I enjoy being that person. Yeah, to a point, but you but can't do it at work. No, you can't. And you, the thing is, when when you enjoy being that person because it's a hobby, it's a thing that you like, you know when to apply it and when not to. This is also the person that likes to say, well, actually. Yes, while pushing their glasses up on their nose, I swear. <laughs> it, like, have you seen the picture of the, the, the cartoon image of the well, actually guy? Mm-hmm. I've worked with that guy at like six different places. <laughs> And they've all got different names, but it's the same guy. They've got the same build. They've got the same hairline. They've got the same teeth. It's it's really weird. And the thing is, they're not only in development. They're in every specialized field. Yeah. They're in medicine. They're in psychology. Like every field that I've been in that has been highly specialized. There has been someone like that. Yeah. Um, And they also tend to waste a crap ton of time in meetings and they get pouty when their vastly superior, in air quotes, knowledge is not acknowledged. So let's talk about how somebody gets here because that's the way to fix it. Kids in school 
are often praised for knowing things in many cases rather than doing things. You know, you knew the right answers on the test. I know you have praised your daughter. I've seen you do this for the work that she did. Like I have, I have heard you say to her, you, you worked hard on that. Yeah. You worked very hard on that. Good job working hard and putting in the effort. Yeah. I have heard you say that to her multiple times. And you know, I didn't start phrasing things that way until fairly recently when I was like, how do I keep everybody around me from acting like these people? Um, if you can't tell, this is a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Big time. So, you know, they get praised for what they know rather than what they can do. So they, they latch on to knowing things as a source of personal value because it is in school, right? You know, you can recall when different, you know, civil war battles happened, or you can recall the previous name of the Israeli city, city of Hebron, you know, or, you know, whatever. And okay, cool. You, you knew that. That's neat that you knew it in school, but it's not functional in a work environment where stuff has to get done. It's not what you know. It's what you can deliver on. When these people grow up to adults, they naturally assume that the workplace is going to value things the same way as school did or as college did. This is also the same thing you see with people that act like high school jocks and cheerleaders when they're in a corporate environment. It's like That doesn't yeah. It has no relevance. It's dysfunctional. This really happens a lot, especially with people that are really socially unaware as well. Like if they're awkward and everybody feels awkward around them, nobody corrects that. They're not getting a feedback loop here. thing is, you don't have to be socially awkward to be socially unaware. Right. So how you deal with this the nice way. Help them get something else to brag about, such as an accomplishment. Or like, you know, you can even start doing what you're doing with your daughter in praising them. Yeah, for the work they're doing. I mean, I have seen dudes that look like the actually guy mm-hmm. start lifting weights, for instance. And now they're taking pride in, okay, I put forth the effort and yeah, I can squat 400 pounds. Not me. I can't. Um, <laughs> I will die. But there's, you know, I've, I've known dudes that have done that. And there's a there's a weird transformation that happens because it cuts down on the amount of bragging that they're doing. And it also makes the bragging more genuine because now you go, hey, OK, he can squat 400 pounds. When he says, actually, yeah. your metabolic system works this way, it's like, dude had results. I'm going to listen to him now versus he read a book. The thing is, gaining knowledge is work. It does take effort for yeah. for a lot of people. And the idea here is these are the people that have gotten so good at it that it's not an effort to gain knowledge. Yeah. And it's also eclipsed what they actually deliver. Right. And so, yeah, you just want to kind of push them towards actually accomplishing something. So, you know, oh, actually this thing. Well, hey, since you're doing that, you know, maybe we ought to get them on on this because they seem really interested in this particular thing. The other thing, too, is that their attention to the minute details is a value because it becomes in the right context. Right. Uh, you and I have a friend who is one of these guys, right? And there's sometimes that you'll have like a, a question about some little bit of history and you can't find it on Google. Mm-hmm. You can ask this guy and he's got a book. And he'll yeah. go find it. it. And you may not hear back from him for two weeks, but he will find it. And, you know, he's phenomenal at that. You just don't want him in the situation where that's not what he needs to be doing. <laughs> so, um, it's interesting because I'm kind of, I'm working on it, but I am a little bit this guy at work. And like I said, it's, it's something that comes from that medical background that, you know, used to being expected to be this person. Like right. where it was in the situation I was in, I was constantly being asked questions and expected to give the minutia detailed answers. A lot of the people like this, they, they're they learning stuff to brag. Mm-hmm. They're not learning stuff to learn. It's like, the, it's yeah. like the I effing love science crowd on mm-hmm. Facebook. They don't know science. So I guess let's talk about how to deal with uh, this stuff in a nastier way. Like, okay, now this person is actively causing you problems. They're undercutting you. They're, you know, derailing your meetings. They're, they're damaging your reputation. They're trying to make you look stupid, that kind of stuff. They're throwing you under the bus. So to do this semi-publicly, you know, somewhat in public. Yeah, you want two or three people in an audience, preferably not management, but people who talk to management. Yeah, people like that. Um, in front of them, keep asking them, the person, for more details. Don't ever express doubt that what they're saying is true. Just keep digging. Yeah, because they don't have a deep knowledge. In many cases. The the idea is you want to be the toddler going, why? Why is the sky blue? Yeah. 
And the thing is here, if they actually do know stuff and they aren't posing, you may learn some really cool stuff because these are people that are good resources for this, yeah, right? Like yeah. this is a nasty way to approach it that you can back out of if it turns out that it's inappropriate. But if they don't, what happens when you keep digging is they explode and it'll happen right as it borders on what they don't know, where they're like, hey, the next question is going to be a problem. This I feel this way and this person's making me feel this way. So I'm going to go at them. You're so, gaslighting them. Yeah. So on this. If you're being asked questions and you get like really anxious and like nervous about the next question, you, you might, you might be <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking Jeff Foxworthy here, yeah. but you, you, you very well might be like this and you know, you may need to look at, Hey, why am I behaving this way? Um, the thing here is you really don't want to do this type of thing to someone unless you absolutely have to. Right. And so that means, you know, a situation where they're trying to throw you under the bus or they're lying or, you know, they're, they're doing things that can make it where your career is in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. The next one is the whiner. This is an individual who is afraid of taking blame for anything. Whereas the previous, the secret king refused to admit not knowing something. This person refuses to admit fault. They have a tendency to throw you under the bus rather than take the blame for their own screw ups. This is, and I have literally heard this. I didn't build it wrong. You didn't give me the correct specs. Yep. In which I was able to pull up the exact form that I had emailed and say, this is what it says it's supposed to do. This is what it's not doing. Yeah. <laughs> so if we have a Venn diagram, you don't have perfect overlap, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This also tends to be coupled with someone who spends a lot of time trying to make sure that management knows what they are doing. In air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. These people will eventually completely erode trust on a team to the point that even the trustworthy people stop trusting each other because there's one toxic person and they're like, hey, if I screw up or if I'm vulnerable in some way, I'm going to get thrown under the bus. Even though that person's not involved in the situation, like they, their effects ripple out everywhere else. This happens because they've gotten away with it in a lot of cases for a long time, yeah. years. Yeah, even. we're talking like this is stuff that you start developing this behavior pattern in like middle school or earlier. This also happens when they're incompetent, overwhelmed, and usually terrified that they will lose their job. And this is interesting because, um, when I saw the, I didn't build it wrong, you didn't give me the correct specs, was someone who, they they had gotten promoted beyond their ability. But it's, the basically the deal is, is when people feel cornered, they have a tendency to attack. And they'll attack by whining and going, oh, it's not my fault, it's somebody else. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how to deal with this nicely. You know, the humane approach, as it were. You really can't have this kind of person in your environment. And you probably can't hold them accountable either. Like they're this way because nobody has. That is what I have noticed is when you try to hold them accountable. They'll pull somebody real heavy down on you. Yeah. And you, you get like someone from management defending them. Yeah. These people are probably good enough for an easier job and they probably wish they were in one. You might actually try referring recruiters to them. I've done that twice <laughs> and that has worked pretty well. That's a really great way of handling that. Yeah, yeah. especially when you get a referral fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I got paid for getting rid of this nuisance. <laughs> um, now, that doesn't always work, but. And when it doesn't work, you may have to get nasty. Yeah. Um, like I've been talking about, document everything thoroughly and only discuss critical details through email. Um if you attend a meeting with them, summarize the meeting and send them an email with that summary. This is one of the things that we we documented in that that case was um, we would have working at a hospital when you you transition from one team to the next, like shift work, you have a, a meeting, kind of a handoff meeting where you discuss what's going on um, yeah. with each patient, and we just documented that they weren't there. And so, but they were clocked in. And so that's when management realized, hey, what are you doing in this time when you're supposed to be here? Yep. And it was, oh, doing something that they shouldn't be doing. or not, not shouldn't be doing, but doing their old job and just trying to like fit it in. Yeah. Now I will say this, as far as documenting everything, you probably should do that anyway. Yeah, that's very um, true. 
you know, like those emails are real handy because I can go, Hey, here's, you know, because my management will go, Oh, well, you know, you got to do this or, you know, we, we were supposed to do this a year ago. Why isn't this done? And you go, yeah, here's what you actually told me to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, or you can look at it and go, Oh yeah, I did do that. Where is it? And you realize it's in a branch that never got committed to the trunk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this isn't just a strategy for dealing with these kind of people. Like this is just mm-hmm. a reasonable dealing with multitasking thing too. And so by doing this, when they try to throw you under the bus, that's when you take it to management. Yeah. Um, and if management doesn't fix it, you prepare to leave. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one of those kind of things where, um, you know, like the two-week notice type thing, I'm not sure I would actually give that. Because mm-hmm. it's like, look, you're, you're waiting to get fired because of this person, you know. No. Yeah. That's, there's, there's one or two of these personality types that I really have a hard time with. Um, speaking of which, the next one is the rock star. This is the developer whose opinion of themselves greatly exceeds their abilities. Yeah, or their results, yeah. particularly. They have a tendency to not only do the work, but to rework it over and over again. I know a guy that rewrote the entire database and API for a project that they'd been working on for months over the weekend. Yep. He just decided, I want to restructure this. And then he, everyone came in on Monday. And all their stuff is broken. Yeah. And they're all mad and he doesn't understand why. I worked with a guy that did the same thing. He would do it and he wouldn't come in until 10 o'clock in the morning. And so he would do it on like weeknights. And so you know, you leave at like 430 because, you know, you got there 637 o'clock. Right. And you leave at 430 and you come in the next morning and you're dead in the water from 630 until 1030 when he comes in because he's changed the entire database and hasn't checked in his changes to all the entity framework stuff that he did. So you're just sitting there. You're like, well, I guess I'll play ping pong yeah. with the wall. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing you can do. Now, this, these people also tend to be very cocky and rude to others who they perceive to have less skill. Yes. And this is something that is, you know, like the rock star type approach is something that, that I have some difficulty with. And we'll talk about that, you know, as far mm-hmm. as how it happens. A lot of times this is a reaction to having regularly worked in really, really messed up environments. You know, I've made a career out of cleaning up mm-hmm. bad code. And so when you come in there and you're like, you know, I'm, I think I might be the most competent person they've had. It's really, really hard not to let that go to your head. And I, I mostly do a good job of that now as I've matured, but I don't think I did a real good job of it when I was younger. Like looking back, this I think this is something that it's a phase. It because is. Because I've noticed it in myself, too. It can also happen because someone is very passionate about their work and wants to be an artisan. Yeah. And that's that's where I think it comes with in both of us, in part because you've worked in some messed up environments, but also because you are very passionate about it. Right. Um, and the same with me. Like, I, I want to do the best. And so, when I commit my code when i put that in that is the best possible code that i can write right you don't want to paint the bathroom at the sistine chapel right the other thing is they also may start in a position lower than their ability so they think they're just better than everyone when in reality they're just a little further along yeah like for instance you were closer to mid than you were to junior when you started your job whereas for other juniors it was your you know it was their first job yeah there's there's several people that i started with who it was their first job out of school. Yeah. Whereas you had me sitting there beating the crap out of you constantly. Plus I'd already had a ton of other yeah, you had, technical you had, type jobs in other fields. And you had the life experience too, which yeah. I think the the aging, you know, like a you know, ten years of aging between you know your twenties and your thirties, that makes a bit of a difference too, really just in does. a lot of stuff. The way you deal with this nicely is you play along with it. You know, plan out how the systems could be improved. And you guide them towards better solutions. The humility will get there on its own. Uh, I, I got to say, this is a lot of the way that I think the management, the mid-level management has dealt with me in this case. Yeah. And I had some managers that, that did that as well. That's, that's really effective because the other thing you can do is like, look, you know, you may, if you're dealing with somebody that thinks they're a rock star, what happens if they are really smart? Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can harness this and... Get this going in a direction that helps everybody on the team. It's really easy place for a high junior or mid-level developer to end up in. You grow a lot in your first few years of coding, and other people do too. Yeah, so what happens is is you have grown 
let's say, you know, you've got a year's worth of growth and you look at one of your coworkers code from a year and a half ago and they're at the same level as you. What does that do to your estimation? Yeah. It's completely wrong. Um, that's then uh, that happened to me once and I got schooled. Yeah. For me, what really humbled me and kind of brought things into perspective because, you know, I was becoming, I was on my way to becoming a, a monster. Yeah. Rockstar type thing. Like I was on my way there. Um, and then I didn't get promoted when I applied for it. Yeah. You know, it, I got passed up, um, by someone I thought was a very solid programmer, but not, not at your level. At the same level. Um, less experience programming, though, a, like a little bit longer experience in the, at the state. Right. You know? And, and that, probably easier to deal with too, yeah. which was the other part of and, it. And, you know, that was very humbling. I had to take a look at myself and be like, all right, why was this the case? Well, and that's a phase I think that everybody goes through if yeah. they, if they stay at this very long. So sometimes, the nice way doesn't work or yeah. you're not able to, to do that. So you have to be nasty. Yeah. If you're really careful getting them wound up about technical minutia right before a meeting with non-technical managers is a real good way to get that problem sorted out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If and you, it, it may not get them fired, mind you, it may just get them in the situation where you were in, like they get slapped down. If you couple that with explaining technical stuff in an, actual English management will look to you instead of them. You know, you, you don't necessarily want to get rid of the bulldog. You just want on a leash. Yeah. Or, it, or at worst case mauling somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing is no. someone like this can be very useful. Absolutely. If guided and controlled. You just need to set those controls in motion. Yeah. Now the next one we're going to talk about is sort of the other side of this. And this is the expert beginner. Yeah. And this is somebody that has advanced to a certain level of skill and then they stopped moving. Um, we used to see a lot of this in Dev Launchpad back yeah. in the day. Not as much now because we've kind of worked on that, but you get people that came in and they would get, you know, they looked like they were going somewhere and then they just stopped growing mm -hmm. and they kept attending. Yeah. I was talking to, to one person the other day and, uh, so I was helping out with some stuff and she was telling me, she's like, yeah, it's like, I probably should learn something else. She's learning Python. She's like, but I've already started down this path learning Python and I know C sharp and JavaScript like Angular are more popular here in Nashville, but I kind of want to stick with what I'm doing. And like, yeah, that is the, that is the type of person we want in that group. Yeah. So on the other hand, the expert beginner is a person that tends to be very resistant to change, whether positive or negative. And their resistance tends to be based on sort of outdated expectations. Yeah. Like all PHP code is crap. I've heard that one. And I'm going, yeah, I know some Laravel guys that are going to curb stomp you. Sorry, that's not true. Um, these people, when they're in, an, in your environment, they make it really hard to retain your top talent because the talent doesn't want to end up like them. And mm -hmm. they see it. They also tend to be very protective of kind of their little fiefdom um, as it's the only thing keeping them employed. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about how this happens. A lot of stuff does this. Um, as people get older, their interest in learning the framework of the week declines, especially if they have families. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've seen here too is someone who gets promoted just a little beyond their ability. And it's, it's, it's to where if they really put the effort in, they could learn and really grow into it, but they don't. They learn just enough to get by. Yeah. And then when challenging things come up, you realize, hey, this person really can't can't work at the level I need them to, or someone who gets promoted because they're a you know they're five years away from retirement, or that the boss's buddy. Yeah. Another thing that can happen is they can be stuck doing maintenance on an older system for a long period of time, and they just get behind. No, I've seen this a lot um, with developers I've talked to that are in like senior to lead roles. Where yeah, this is something that scares the same, me. Yeah, they've been at the same company for. 15, 20 years, and they are trying to break out of that. Yep. It can also happen because a lot of the newer stuff kind of comes across as crap to mm -hmm. the older generation. Like, you've been around for a while. Like, we're used to things like backward compatibility and release cycles that are not measured in weeks. There's a few things that um, when I was learning, I would ask you a question and you would give me like this really long 
complicated way of doing it. And I'm like, well, why don't you just do this? Yeah, because there was stuff like in like in Visual Studio, especially yeah. like you're like well, you could just do this, and I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm like, why don't you just do this? Because this is what I was really wanting help with, because I can't figure out which which method to use here. And you're like, um, didn't know that was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because um, I remember like the uh, what was it? Is it Control Q in Visual Studio where you can hit that and then you can search through the Solution Explorer? Mm-hmm. Like when I started, they didn't have that, and we didn't use the designer because it crashed all the time. And yeah. so you'll see older developers, and we all like accumulate this it's mm-hmm. like genetic damage it just stays um so yeah it's it's easy to get here and everybody is here at some level now let's talk about how to deal with it nicely again you have to help people along show them stuff uh, whether it's newer frameworks or newer practices and find things that make stuff easier for them that's how you win them over is hey this is less work because you know this is a response to entropy in mm-hmm. the development environment so if you can Work with that, then you win. The corollary to this is that if you can't, then you may not really have a case here. Yeah. So if like using Angular doesn't help them, it doesn't help them. Like you're not going to convince them to become a JavaScript developer when they're doing desktop apps, for instance. That's like when, you know, I was learning Angular, it wasn't going to help you out at your job. Right. This also means listening to their concerns and figuring out how to address them. Yeah, I had this discussion with my boss this mm-hmm. week because um, I started using hierarchy IDs in SQL Server. And I had to prove to him how the indexing worked, how the data was stored. Holy crap. And I understand why, right? Because it's like, this is for a critical system. and But I mean, I spent a day and a half deep diving on the hierarchy ID data type in SQL Server. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you're you going to have to do this. And, you know, part of that is, is this will be better for us and faster, but, like, mm-hmm. I have to prove it. Yeah. No, a lot of these people know they're behind and would be very grateful for the help if someone approached them in the right manner. Oh, yeah. So, the mean way or nasty way to deal with this is nothing. Yeah. Don't do anything. Just work around them and let it go because... Time tends to sort these people out. Mm-hmm. Being actively aggressive against sort of an old timer, it's going to hurt you because they've made friends. Well, and they're a reliable workhorse, yeah. right? They're still there because they're getting stuff done. I know of a company where this dude came in and he'd been there two weeks and he suggested to the main owner that he fire his son, uh, his daughter, one of his other partners. A guy that had been there 20 years and a guy that had been there six years. Don't do that. No. (laughs) Like, everybody's cringing. Now you know. So, the next one is the bigot. This is an individual who assumes that one or more groups of people are inferior in some way. Uh, This can be based on their language of choice, the school they went to, gender, race, whatever. Um. So, I worked with a contractor once that assumed all female developers were UI front-end developers and all male developers were API or back-end developers. And it was really, really interesting because I don't think he actually like had a... It wasn't a prejudice. It was just like this... It was the mental model that he worked out. Yes. Yeah. And it just... He... It, it was this older guy. He... Honestly, I don't know why he wasn't retired. I think he was just doing it to... Yeah, he was, he was a consultant. Right. He was just doing it to have something to do. But, you know, guys, this attitude is obviously destructive. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, don't confuse this with friendly joking, like we do with PHP developers. Yeah. Um, or Perl know. developers, or... Yeah, Java. I recently <laughs> reconnected with a friend of mine from high school that I haven't seen in years. He's a PHP senior developer now down in Murfreesboro. Yep. So, the way this happens, usually this is someone who has either been burned or is afraid of getting burned. Uh, Fear is the usual root of this behavior, and it manifests different. But you'll typically see the person suffering from it either lashing out at whatever group they fear or avoiding them. Um, The With some older developers, though, this may be kind of an unknown prejudice that they don't even know about, Uh, such as the case with the contractor that I had worked with. Uh, He didn't even realize it until someone pointed it out to him. Like we we had a um, there's a female API developer that he kept making comments about, oh, you know, I know you work mostly on the front end. And she's like, no, I wrote the the API that you're calling. Yeah. (laughs) 
So let's talk about how to deal with it nicely. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in the targeted group, befriending them and or proving them wrong nicely is how you fix this. Um, you'll often find out that if you manage it, that such a person becomes your strongest advocate on the team. So like if you're a web developer and you've got a desktop developer that looks down on web developers because most of the web developers he's dealt with are tools, but you prove yourself, all of a sudden you've got somebody very strong backing you. That's happened to me several times. Mm -hmm. No, you may be dealing with someone who is legitimately a bigot um, and you just have to get rid of them or be nasty. Yeah, which mainly means that you just kind of get them cranked up in a bad time. You get you expose that, um, particularly the nastiness that goes with it. And you got to show. You can't talk about it. You can't tell people about it. You have to get them riled up and have them go off. Yep. The next one is the dead weight. This is someone who doesn't get their work done, however they manage to go about it. It could be anything from being on their cell phone constantly to finding excuses not to get work done to actively lying about hours. I know I have worked in almost every job I've had. There's been someone like this. Yeah. Um, I try not to be this person. Uh, I know well, when you get demotivated enough, it's, it's hard. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where these people are coming from, but what they do is they put extra stress on everybody else because they mm -hmm. miss the deadlines. Yeah. In addition, observing someone like this tends to cause other people to slack off as well. It's like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're spending 45 minutes on a conversation talking about, talking about so-and-so's retirement party. So it's okay for me to, you know, go take a 30 minute coffee break. Yeah. And let's talk about how this happens. So the person probably was not like this when they got hired. At some point, they were probably productive or they were at least able to fake it well enough to get a job. This often happens because of one or a series of several demotivating events. It can be anything from missed raises to being ignored all the way up to serious burnout with a career, which happens to a lot of developers. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at like half over a five year period. It could also be that they are overwhelmed and lack the ability or knowledge to prioritize. You know, I've worked with people, especially back in my days at the hospital, that would bounce from task to task based on the last person to ask them to do something. This is really frustrating because they will do the most recent task asked of them. So if they're working on something for you and someone else comes up and asks them, say, hey, can you do this? They will stop what they're doing for you halfway through it to go work on that. And then the next person that comes up, they'll stop there and go to their task rather than saying, all right, hang on, let me finish what I'm doing. Yeah, this is one of those things I wish like developer project managers would come up with some way of me measuring developer stack depth mm -hmm. because you can find those people then. So the frustrating thing that I ran into is when we started calling the person out on this, you know what they did? They went to the people with power, probably. No, they started saying, oh, I can't do that because I'm working on this lower priority task. So it was it was something, all right, hey, can you get this done by next month? Yeah. And then we have an emergency come up and we're like, hey, I, we need to get this patient admitted right now. Can you do this? Oh, well, I'm working on reorganizing this file system. And after that, I've got to sanitize all the doorknobs. Right. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you need to stop that there. You need to learn priority. Yeah. And that was the issue that we were having back in the day. Yeah. It can also come from medical, psychological, or personal life issues that are distracting them. I know this last week, I've not been on point mm -hmm. because of you know family stuff going on. It's even contagious as the presence of someone like this often damages things to the point where it isn't worth it for other people to work hard just to be screwed over along with the person taking a lot of breaks. Yeah, because like if you're, if you're on a team and the team is evaluated as a group and the team gets yelled at when deadlines are missed and four people on the team are hitting the deadline yeah, and one isn't and that's the one that's getting, you know, the other four are demotivated then. So let's talk about how to deal with it nicely. A lot of the time, these people just need someone to talk to or a friend. This is especially true if they haven't been this way for long, like if this is a new behavior. Yeah, because development is an isolating job, and a lot of times these people don't have anybody to talk to. If it's been going on a while, just quietly try to route around the damage, if yeah. possible. Um, this may not be possible because it, it may be someone you're relying on. Yeah. Helping them understand priorities and how to say no or I'll get to it later 
may allow them to get tasks finished before starting a new one. Like I said, the issue you run into is you help them say no, and then... They say it to you. Well, they, <laughs> That's they, the other thing that sucks. Well, that, that sucks, but it's okay if they're like, all right, I've got this high priority task. Um, one thing I will tell you not to do is don't confront management. They either know already, or they're too incompetent to know, or you're wrong. Those are the three options here. Now, one thing you can do is if it is someone on another team that you're relying on and they're they're not doing it. Yeah, you go to your manager so they go after theirs. Well, you can push the problem up. If you can, or you can you can ask what is their priority? Yeah. Like what what priorities do they have over us that and so, so I can, can schedule. Yeah, so you can schedule and approach it that way. I have seen this happen where their manager didn't realize the person was doing these things. Um, and it, or where they legitimately had the wrong priorities and your manager goes, well, why is it a top priority? And then they find out because they didn't know. Yeah. Right. That happens. Um, yeah. I mean, you can, you can assume incompetence, but you don't act on incompetence. <laughs> now, the way to deal with this nasty is if you're on a high profile project with them, try to arrange things so that a critical piece of it is dependent on them and make sure you're too busy to do it for them. Yeah. And then you can watch them hit the wall while they accelerate. Um, I've only done this one once, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I mean, you, you, you have to sometimes because you've got to, you know, your, your kids got to eat. The next one is the perfectionist. And this is somebody who has strong standards, but who takes them too far. Um, I know is, this is one that's a problem for you. Yeah. This Mr. Is something- calculator app <laughs> guy. Uh, you know what? Not so much with the calculator app now, but I am, I'm, you know, I'm really heavy into the scrum process. I'm glad that you dropped the calculator app. Finally. <laughs> Uh, this person often derails projects by churning endlessly. They also have a tendency to refactor and refactor and refactor and then refactor the refactoring, especially as deadlines close in. And I think I talked about this earlier, wanting to refactor the data model. Yeah. Um, because I saw it coming down the line and yep, that's going to be something we have to deal with eventually, but you know, I proposed it and we ended up not doing it, but it's put on the back burner as, hey, you know, we're going to hit this deadline and then we'll deal with that. Yeah. This effectively means that they don't get other stuff done. And they can also be extremely critical of other people's work, causing friction on the team. You know, that's that's something that I'm not as bad about when it's like someone on the team I'm working with, but when it's someone that's gone or old stuff. Yeah, I, I oh, I, really I, like I dropped the hammer on that. <laughs> like I'm straight up. Uh, let's talk about how it happens. Sometimes these people are just trying to avoid doing real work um, by simply revisiting the previous work because hey, it's comfortable. However, they're often fearful of consequences occurring when they don't do something perfectly, like they've been jumped on when they made a small mistake. Mm-hmm. It's very easy in the highly focused technical world to fall into the trap of it has to be just this way. That applies to computers, but not to humans. Yeah. The way you deal with this nicely is you have to understand where they're coming from, and that is a desire to do well. It's just that they go a little too far. One thing you can usually get them to do is compromise and take smaller steps towards kind of what they want to achieve. You're better off harnessing this than opposing it. So when I proposed this big data model change that I wanted. They harnessed you. Yeah. And well, well, the thing is, <laughs> yeah. it made sense. Like we, we had to talk about it and they're like, yeah, that is a direction we need to go. But is it worth it in the time that we have till when this project is due? Yeah, and the answer to that was probably no, but we so, could do this other thing. So, what we did was we compromised, and I got a little bit of that change that made the made enough effect to where we're not having to kind of hack around the old data model as much. Yeah, you're much. not piling up technical debt on top of technical problems. Right. Yeah. The reason we suggest getting them to compromise and take smaller steps is that it deflects their perfectionism while it also allows them to plan out how things are going to be handled. This tends to satisfy a lot of them because they also tend to enjoy this type of planning. So instead Mm -hmm. of, hey, here's what the system would look like perfectly. We can't get there. How can we start iterating in that direction? A lot of them really enjoy that kind of planning and you're using that muscle. You guys can't see me raising my hand, but like that is me. And that is, that is, I try to do this to myself. Um, Yeah. 
But one one thing I've learned is sometimes I have to push for the extreme to get them to allow me to start iterating towards it. Yep. Hence that big data model change in order to get the little change that made us not have to put in all that technical debt. Yeah, that's like the basics of negotiating, which yeah. we really ought to have an episode on that. We should. Um, so now let's talk about how to deal with it in the nasty way. You really don't have to do a whole lot with this person. Either their perfectionism will cause them to miss deadlines and cause problems, or it won't. Yeah, they may be a jerk, but eh. If they're hostile towards you in particular, a good bet is to go along with the standards they propose, then quietly point out to management that you're doing so to avoid a conflict with the individual in question. Yeah, or don't even necessarily point it out to management. Just tell somebody, you know, tell a friend in casual conversation that who happens to talk to management. Or just talk about it in front of management's office. Yeah, where they overhear it. Yeah, (laughs) that This doesn't work if they are your manager, unfortunately. In that case, you need to figure out whether staying is worth it or not. Um, or if you need to go above them. Yeah. So the next one is the architecture astronaut. And this was something I encountered when I was mid-level. I had a bad problem with this. And most mid-level devs do. This is someone who is too hung up on things like code reuse, abstraction, and the like to the point where they cause problems. These are good things, but... Personally, I have a lot of fun debating with one of our junior developers about this. But I have to watch it in meetings to not detract. And we can count how many angels are dancing on the head of this pen, but not in yeah, with a, we, we not in the scrum meeting. All yeah, right. Yeah, we, we don't need it in this meeting, but let's let's definitely get together and talk about this because it'll be a lot of fun for the two of us. Yeah. Um so it's it's kind of like that. Uh, this person is often inexperienced and tries to apply advanced development strategies when they don't necessarily apply or they don't understand them. Yeah. yeah, I've been there. <laughs> this can often get in the way of both developing things and debugging them as multiple levels of unneeded abstraction can be painful to deal with. Yeah, like I dealt with one where these guys built this system and it was completely pluggable end to end. It was doing, you know, you could do stuff over remoting, web services, mm-hmm. message queues. There's like 15 different ways you could make the servers talk. But if I wanted to pass a piece of data back that wasn't in that contract, it was either going to be a week's worth of work or I had to hack it in, which meant that I threw an exception that had a payload in it to re- so, get for a return value. That's the kind of damage they do. There are three main causes of this. The first is inexperience. In other words, they think it has to be this way because the book suggests it. For example, this is a great example of it. I heard very early on in my training, someone say that try catch was a code smell. My misunderstanding of what a code smell is meant you never do a try catch. And then when I got in, I, I started getting into logging. I'm like, well, that's how you do logging. You, you do a try catch to catch the exception so you can log it. And I'm like, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't mesh, which led to, whoa, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which led to my changing my understanding of what a code smell is as, Hey, you need to look here. And I went back and re-listened to that podcast. And what with my new knowledge, what they were saying is a try catch is a code smell. Because so many people don't handle the exception once it's caught. Right. And so if you see that, you need to look at that and make sure it's being handled. With that knowledge, I was like, oh. And then that led to, what, like two episodes on code smells? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, actually. Um, (laughs) Another cause is they're trying to avoid risk, usually out of prior experience and fear. So they're just trying to hack around and get it where they can't get burnt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they also tend to be aiming for career advancement. This isn't the way to do it, but it is perceived as such because like if you're doing difficult things, you're obviously more senior. Yeah. So they're going, oh, well, if I do more difficult things, therefore I'm more senior. Mm-hmm. It's a cargo cult kind of thing. Or it could be they're trying to figure out. Yeah. Now, the way you deal with this nicely is to recognize that they are trying to do the right thing and help to convince them to moderate their tendency towards kind of the pattern soup. What they are doing can help your team a lot if you can point it in the right direction. Your goal should be to convince them to use their skills to make the team more effective by making things easier. That's the point of a lot of these patterns is to make things easier, either easier now or later on. Their architectural tendencies will be of use if they can be pointed in the right direction. Yeah, but they're a problem if they're not. Right. Um, So if you can't fix it that way... 
there's some nasty ways to do it. Um, but these people are really hard to dislodge. Their confidence and apparent enthusiasm make them a hard target to attack. However, they can often be convinced to leave. They will eventually experience friction with management, which can be used to convince them to move on. Hey, man, you're not appreciated here. Or, you know, they're just really, you know, they're hamstringing your skills, man. I just hate this. So, guys, it can be challenging dealing with troublesome developers in a work environment. They cause a lot of problems that mostly have to be cleaned up by others and often create interpersonal drama that makes work stressful and draining. While you're sometimes better off simply getting away from them, there are ways to deal with them and even, on occasion, help them. Being able to navigate an environment with these sorts of people is a critical part of being a successful software developer. Most of the time, you're better off figuring out how to work with and harness the good attributes of these troublesome developers. You want to avoid being nasty and manipulative as much as possible, but sometimes there's no other option. You have two choices, either change the dysfunctional developer or get them out of there. That pretty much wraps it up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? I just want to reiterate the uh, the nice versus nasty. Here's the other thing about the nice, right? Like you may not care about this person at all, but if you're nice, if you can redirect them in the right way, it's still easier on you, right? There's no blowback. All the nasty strategies that we gave you, those can blow up in your face real easy. So just be aware of that and try the other thing first. That's all I've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.